0: I don't say welcome. Also, um, the, in case you didn't know, you're new with us. This was my beautiful wife that was up here, and um, together we are are here today. And um, it's not a it's it's you know and for obvious reasons. It, this morning comes with all kinds of different emotions. And um, when I four months ago when I stood up here and told you all that that we were stepping down as your pastor, um, I didn't know what this day would feel like. I didn't know. Um, what emotions I would have or how exactly I would feel. I had an idea in my head, but now um, here we are. And I, I just want to give a brief update on the details of our lives as I jump into this this morning. Because um, many of you have asked, and, and it's been awesome to, to sense that you care and that you wonder what's going on in our lives. And, and so I just want to kind of update you. We believe um, at this point, at this season, just to go back a little bit, in the ministry of Finding Life, we're not the right ones to lead us where God wants to go. We decided to step away from this role because we believe that God is leading finding life into the next season of its development. We believe there is someone better equipped and positioned to lead this church where it needs to go. That person, it turns out, is one of my closest friends and mentors, Kevin Andrews, who has moved here already with his wife, Janet. Um, They bought a house in in the Elkhorn area. It's got a pool, so that's sweet. Um, And and God is in the process of preparing their hearts as they're in a season of Of kind of refreshment and reflection. And like it says on your worship flyer, September 17th is the first Sunday that they're gonna be here with you, and Kevin will be preaching, and and that's an exciting thing. Um, Next Sunday, though, will be our last Sunday as your pastor, and uh, we'll also come with an indefinite season of absence from the Finding Life community. Um, We want Finding Life to stretch its wings, to have the freedom to embrace new ideas and embrace new leadership. We don't want our presence to cast a shadow over the transition into the next season. So it is in the best interest of finding life that we'll be leaving. We're not leaving your lives, we're not leaving your team, um, but we will be leaving this building on Sunday mornings. Um, There may come a day down the road when it's best, in the best interest of finding life for our family to return as partners of this community, but we can't and don't know when or how that might work so we're not planning for it. When we when we made this decision prayerfully a long time ago, this is something that people have had a hard, had a hard time wrapping their minds around. Um, we genuinely believed with, with, with everything in us that God was, was doing something on purpose. And that it wasn't necessarily up to us, but we needed to respond obediently to what God was saying in our lives and, and, and about the future of Finding Life Church. And, and this was it. Um, it's time to step away. It's time to step down. Like I said, there may come a day, and and I've had these conversations with lots of different people, like, you're not really leaving, right? And I want you to know, from the bottom of my heart, we are not leaving your lives. You are our friends. You will always be our friends. We're not going anywhere. We're not moving away. Um, We want to be involved with your lives as much as we have been to this point. But as of after next week, um, we won't be directly involved with the ministry of Finding Life Church. Um, so in a lot of ways, these next two weeks are a goodbye for us. We're not leaving Omaha, like I said, and we're not leaving you as friends, but we won't be part of this gathered community um, indefinitely. As I've considered the future of finding life and prayed for what God has in store, um, a couple of things rose to the surface that I wanted to communicate to you all as I prepare to step away. Um, I'm titling this current sermon series that I'm starting, as just two Sundays, Letters. And, and basically, as, I, as I've looked at the landscape of the New Testament, I see this this constant like um, like reoccurring theme and it's leaders planting churches, investing in people and then moving to invest in more people. And, but there's the, almost the entire New Testament is made up of letters from that leader back to the people that he loves and cares about so much and, and reminders and hey, remember when we did this and remember you, you believed this, I want to remind you about it again. Most of it is rooted in identity and I'm going to get back to that. But as I've considered what do I want what do I want to say for the last time, for the last two times? Um, all kinds of emotions obviously come to the surface, um, but I've written a few letters. And before we dive in, um, I just want to pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that we're here. Thanks for the way that you've loved and um, guided, directed, held us in your hand um, from those, those earliest days in a living room, praying about what could be um, to transitioning into, uh, into an actual like full-blown Um, Sunday morning gathering at Ackerman Elementary School, um, jumping around a little bit and then moving into the Millard School building and, and ultimately leading us here. And all the way along, you have done, consistently done amazing things in the lives of real people. And Lord, that is something that we can never, we can't accomplish on our own. And we pray that the future of finding life will be marked by more. More of that. More of that. As much of that as we can possibly imagine happening because you are the Lord of your church, and you want to build your church, and I pray that you would build it even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, over eight years ago, Anne-Marie and I sensed a prompting from God to start a new church here in Omaha, Nebraska. When we prayed about it, we asked God to give us vision for what he wanted that church to look like. When we prayed that way, we began to see a picture clearly. We saw a church that was more defined by who than what. We saw a church that created space for people of all stages on their faith journey, welcoming, authentic, gracious. We saw a community whose target and measuring stick for success was more about people being sent than the number of butts in a seats. We saw a community of people whose collective hearts, talents, and resources were unified because of a singular lifestyle and radical pursuit, Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, and passion for his kingdom. As we began to lay the foundations that would come to define this great community, phrases like real is better than perfect, And what matters most is people finding Jesus came to our minds. It was the values behind these phrases that gave them their power. We imagined a community of people living values-driven lifestyles that had the potential to change everything for them, for their families, and most importantly, for the people they lived, worked, and played with. We saw a church with the potential to change the world one heart at a time. We saw a community of people that would be fearless and unwavering in their pursuits because that community was so in love with Jesus and clear about the urgency of the gospel that everything else paled in comparison. On this second-to-last time, I will stand before you as your pastor. I have a simple message for you. Refuse to settle. We live in a world that embraces settling and at times looks down on those who refuse to do so. But hear me clearly. The status quo is an enemy of grace. Complacency is the destroyer of life and comfort is the antonym of discipleship. Refuse to settle for for coming to church once a week, standing in aisles singing songs and leaving unchanged. Refuse to settle for a program or event-driven faith that seeks an emotional response that will tide you over only till the next one. Refuse to settle for surface-level relationships that have no chance of showing people what God is really like. Refuse to settle for ignorant disconnected, and opinion-driven faith refuse to settle. Instead, embrace a lifestyle of faith that seeks to live every moment in worshipful surrender of the God who gave us all our breath. Instead, embrace the radical realities of grace and allow God's love to define you, the people around you, and every situation you find yourself in. Instead, embrace a discipleship journey that seeks truth, that seeks understanding, that seeks the genuine heart of the Father. Instead, embrace community, the kind that lives others first, sacrificial and unified. Set aside your differences and embrace this mantra, we love because he first loved us. Refuse to settle. Ultimately, I beg you to refuse to settle for small. Refuse to settle for small. For known. For what you are able to accomplish. For safety. No, that isn't church That isn't a church that God gave Anne-Marie a vision for all those years ago. That is not the church that God sent his son to die for. See the power of God clearly, what he is capable and desires to do in your life and in this community and throw everything else aside and run towards it with everything that you have. Believe that it's possible, that anything is possible. He wants to use us to give sight to the blind, alleviate poverty, eliminate racism and replace it with reconciliation, do away with mental illness, make sure every human has a home and every child has food. What do you want to see him do? See, I believe that God is waiting for a church to say, here we are. We're ready to see you do things that we can't dream up in our community. We are ready to send us to be sent. But the only way God can do that through us is if we refuse to settle so please, refuse to settle, your friend and co-laborer, Jake. Um, I chose Ephesians chapter 3 to close out, um, the, or to start this first week of our, of our two-week finale series for me. Um, Ephesians 3, partly, is because it's my favorite, favorite book of the Bible. In fact, Ephesians 3 is my favorite chapter of the Bible. Um, I love it so much that I have a tattoo that's all about Ephesians chapter 3 on my arm. Ultimately, it's about seeing God do things in us and through us that are impossible. But as I was preparing this week and, and writing this letter and considering what I pray for and hope for, I'm not here today to, like, tell you what, to say what I want to say. It's my last Sunday, my, one of my last Sundays. I just want to get mine. No, it's what I long for for you. And the irony of preparing for these last two weeks is I kept finding myself going, there's nothing new. <laughs> it's the same stuff I've been saying for eight years. And God has given me a, a level of clarity, I, I believe, on what the church is called to, that that maybe you're going to feel like I'm beating a dead horse this morning, but I want to be in Ephesians chapter 3 with you this morning. Um, In this letter, Paul is urging a group of young Christians about a few things, how to live for Jesus, avoid temptation, etc., etc., etc. Most of it is rooted in identity, and most of the New Testament is rooted in identity, right? Because the people of God coming out of the death and the resurrection of Jesus... They, they didn't know anything about Jesus. All they knew was their old customs, their old way, old way of viewing the world, a very, like, legalistic view, right? If I do this, God loves me. If I don't do this, God doesn't like me. I've got to fix myself. I've got to make myself right. And Jesus comes and he says, yeah, okay, those are good things, but, but really it's about your heart. And, and so as they're wrapping their minds, these brand new Christians wrapping their minds around what it means to live for Jesus, they're screwing up a lot. And the irony is in all, like lots of these letters, um, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, these are all churches that Paul planted and then moved on to plant another one. And they're all letters back to them because at varying levels and in different ways they're screwing up. And they're reminders. Sometimes they're like a full-on rebuke. Like, hey, knock it off. You cannot live like this. Sometimes they're like tender encouragement. That's the book of Ephesians, because the, the, the church in in Ephesus is actually they're they're doing better than, than most. And so it's more this like gentle, like like pursuit and prodding, and like 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 a father looking at his son being immature and going, I see, I see you, I see what you're doing, and I know it's not who you are. And the last thing I want to see is, is is your growth stunted because of this silly thing that could get in the way. So this is the way Paul is coming to his friends, the people that he sacrificed so much for and with. And he's saying, hey, let's remember who we are. And in a large part, the reason I love this passage and and this this chapter so much is because Paul's words and heart echo my heart for you. They are what I'm feeling. And so I want to walk with you through it a little bit. Ultimately, these, these verses are screaming off the pages, refuse to settle. Refuse to settle for the things that you're used to. And I just want to talk about three of those today. If you have your Bible, you can pull it out. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at at, um, verses 6 through 21. Um, You can also pull out your worship flyer and follow along if you want to, or you can listen. In these verses, he's challenging them to not settle for old patterns, ways of thinking, or ways of living. The church in Ephesus has done great. They've been faithful in a lot of ways. They're embracing the values of Jesus, and yet at the same time, they're prone to wander back. Because what they're used to, what we're used to is always what we wander back to. And this is the context Paul is coming in. So he calls them to refuse to settle in three ways, three areas. The first is on your outline, refuse to settle for an entitled faith. The definition of entitled is believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special Treatment yesterday was a brutally rough day for our youngest Maggie. She was at a sleepover the night before, up way too late. And, and if you know really anybody in my family, this is like across the board, it's probably my fault. The combination of tired and hungry is the most dangerous combination. Like it is explosive in my home. And Maggie was tired and I mean she ate so she couldn't have been hungry all day. But her tired like overdid the hungry and she was just cranky. She was just miserable kind of all day. And I kept saying, hey snap out of it, get over it. Right. And eventually we got to the point where we're just like, okay, you do you and just like don't do it in front of us. okay? Um, But so so I'm sitting there, I'm working on something and all of a sudden, like from the corner of the room, I hear her voice say, I wish there was something to be happy about every day. (laughs) Right. The epitome of entitlement coming out of this little seven year old who has like a virtually perfect life right? This is it. We so often live out our faith journey from a place of entitlement, like we deserve something. And I, and I pretty much like lay it into her softly. You know, I was, didn't yell at her. But all the things she has, all the things she's been given, and the lack of gratitude that exists in a person's heart that could allow them to not only ignore everything they have, but believe they deserve what they have and more. This is us. So much of the time with our faith, the things we read in the Bible, the things we talk about in church, we think we are owed those things. We think they come with it. Like, we prayed the prayer, we go to church, and these things are the perks, they're the benefits, right? We get grace and we get forgiveness and we get um, whatever. It just, you know, it's Christianity and this is what I get. And we become entitled in our faith. We think we deserve what Jesus did on the cross for us. We think we're owed earthly blessings. In so doing, we lose the wonder, the majesty, and the power of what it means that we can have relationship with him. It becomes old hat. It becomes boring. It becomes tattered and worn. One of my favorite things about Paul uh, and his heart, in, in particular in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 21, is the wonder that you see. And I'm not sure exactly how, but Paul never lost it. He never lost the awareness of where he came from. And his constant recognition of that constantly led him to just be like, whoa, how did I get this? I don't know, but I'm gonna do everything I can to keep it. I'm gonna do everything I can to live into it. The wonder in his words, in his voice, in these verses, I want you to hear it starting in verse six. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. See, he's acknowledging that there are some things that come along with surrendering your life to Jesus. It's rich. It's treasure. He's acknowledging it. As God's children, both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. You hear it? You hear his excitement? He doesn't view the serving that he's doing as a a chore. He sees it as a privilege. Privilege. I don't know how many mornings I've woke up in eight years and thought, I don't want to go set up. I don't want to go pull drums out of a trailer at eight o'clock in the morning and it's negative five degrees. And I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun to me. And here's Paul, anything I can do, By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege, it's his honor, you hear the wonder in his voice, though I am the the least deserving of all God's people, the least deserving, that's the way Paul describes himself, when's the last time you described yourself that way? Though I'm the least deserving of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And guess what? God chose you, just like he chose Paul. And I wonder, I wonder in my own heart, if I, if I recognize the power of that often enough, do I put myself in this position and go, wow, I am lucky, not only to be saved by this amazing grace, but have the opportunity to be an ambassador of it for others. Not because we have entitled faith. It's kind of like, I don't know how this happened, but it did, and I'm the luckiest guy in the world, so I'm going to hang on to it. See it in verse 8 again. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege. Do you get what I'm after? You see where I'm going? The question is a simple one here. Do you believe God owes you something? I'm not looking for the right answer here. I'm looking for the answer in your heart, the way you actually live your life. You're going to find out. Go ahead and role play as if you were my seven-year-old daughter. You ever been like that before, God? If so, that's entitlement coming out in a context that it's pretty scary to think that God owes us anything. Do I live before God with a constant awareness of how lucky I am? Entitled faith is unaware of the implications of grace and selfishly seeks to hoard it. Genuine faith is daily aware of personal brokenness and the power of grace and wonders at it prayer for you is that you would wake up each morning and wonder about the mystery of God's grace poured out on a broken people, undeserving. Entitled faith seeks, faith sees the speck in their neighbor's eye while ignoring the plank in their own. Genuine faith acknowledges how much they have been given and seeks for ways to give it away to others. Entitled faith takes for granted the presence of God and essentially lives life for, self, for themselves, genuine faith is aware of God's presence and the gift of his word and dives in daily to experience him. Are you living an entitled faith? Is it all about you? If so, you're missing out. You're missing out on what faith was meant to be. Friends, refuse to settle for an entitled faith. Number two, refuse to settle for a disconnected faith. I want you to hear what I mean by this. So many Christians are walking around thoroughly unaware of what they believe and why they believe it. They're disconnected from God and truth. They don't know the Bible and what it says about who they are and what they are called to. The result? Apathy, ignorance, doubt. Ultimately, this approach leads to a selfish faith that seeks to recreate God in the image of myself. When I don't know who God is, when I don't know what he's about, when I'm unaware of what he's called me to, I'm forced to recreate him in my own image. And it sounds like this, a group of people who believe wholeheartedly that they are certain, and are certain, sorry, a group of people who believe wholeheartedly that there are certain people that God created that are better than other group of people God created simply because God created them with a different color of skin. And then take that way of thinking and attach it to the Bible and say their belief is all in the name of Jesus. I don't think you need me to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The ideals, beliefs, and mindset of those protesting in Charlottesville is not just wrong, it is the exact opposite of the message of the gospel and outright evil manifesting itself in this world. And we join together in praying for truth to reign and for healing and peace to come to define race relations in this country. I was driving here this morning and just praying about this. And I've wondered for the last few weeks, this is the first time I've had a microphone since this all went down, so you had to have known that I was going to address it. When we attach the ugliness of sin to the person of Jesus Christ, And and put them together. We're on shaky ground, and I just want to clarify. And and I was proud of our denomination this past week when they came out, um, and they came out against what's going on in Charlottesville and the marching and and all of that. I was proud of us, and I just want you to know, like, we call that out. We condemn that wholeheartedly. The evil that exists there um, is frightening, and we pray at the same time for the for those people as well. Because, because God created everybody in his image and his desires that each of us live into that. So it doesn't make me any better if, if, I, if I toss people aside no matter who they are, absolutely. I'm just like them. So we pray that God would have his way in people's lives. But you see what I'm trying to get at? It's this disconnected faith. It's me deciding what I think is right because I'm unaware of what's actually right. we got to refuse to settle for that. With this type of disconnected faith, truth is your perception of the world. It's unobjective. It's whatever you want it to be, whatever seems good to you. Truth is based on what you feel is right or what makes you feel comfortable. Truth is relative, and our opinions weigh heavier than anything else. Before we know it, we are going through the motions, disconnected, rooted in nothing, and it leaves us with two choices. Disconnected faith leaves us with two choices, not knowing who we are not knowing how God has called us, not knowing what is in fact true, two choices, fall off, give up, walk away, and ultimately abandon your faith, or wander through this life in blissful ignorance and render ourselves useless, even harmful to the kingdom and its purposes. That's it, there are no other options. If we are disconnected from the person of Christ and the truth that he has laid out in front of us, in God, like what I long for more than anything is for for every one of you to know this so well. like Consider this, every day you have the heart of God in your hands. He wants to tell you who you are. He wants to tell you who your neighbor is. He wants to tell you, show you, help you understand how to handle hard things that go on in our world. He wants to be the filter that we run everything through and he's made it really easy for us. We have no reason to be disconnected. This is, this is something Paul is urging, right? Starting in verse 10. See, he's doing it very like, like softly and graciously, but, but listen to what he says. I want you to hear it, verse 10 through 19. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ. Our faith in him, so hear it, he's he's telling them who they are. He's telling them truth. He's reminding them. He's trying to connect the dots between who God is and who he longs for them to be and where it can come from. He says, please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything, On heaven and earth I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high and how deep is is his love. May you experience the love of Christ through it Through it, it, though it is too great for you to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is saying, know where your faith is rooted. Understand where it comes from. Let it identify you. I pray this for you all as individuals, maybe more than anything else, and have from day one, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, I pray that you would know how much God loves you, that those realities would come to define your very worldview and you would live lives that flow out of that awareness. What if we did, all of us, instead of living life in our own strength, we could channel the power of God's truth and let it empower us from the inside out. Hear these truths about you, about life, and about this world that come from this tiny section of scripture. Okay, Paul is trying to to show them, like God's wisdom is better than yours. God's understanding is better than yours. Root yourself in it. And here's what he means by it. This passage just said these things to us. Because of Jesus, my sin cannot keep me from God, his love and grace and forgiveness. Because of Jesus, I can have intimacy with God. Because of Jesus, I can live my life in the very presence of God. God is the creator of heaven and earth. The creator creator made me the pinnacle and all other human beings, the pinnacle of his creation the God who painted the stars in the sky loves me more than any of us can possibly fathom. I can be made complete, even perfect in the context of that incredible love. This is what needs to define us. This is what Paul's saying has to come to define us. But we've got to know it. We've got to know why. We need to be rooted in it. If we are, something totally different is going to flow out of our lives. Something completely different is going to identify us as people. And then as a church, what if, what if? Don't settle for a disconnected faith. Don't settle for religious pleasantries. Don't settle for an image of God that you have created in your own mind to fit, to fit in your box and maintain your entitled faith. No, instead, come to his word. Let it tell Jesus. Let it, come to his word. Let it tell You, who you are, let Jesus tell you who you are. Let Jesus inform your ideas about life. Let Jesus show you how to love your neighbor. Let Jesus and his values shape your understanding of the world. It's right here. Every day, you don't have to wonder what God cares about. He's given it to you. He's laid it out for you. In every way, you have access, full and complete. You don't have to live in confusion or ignorance. You can do life with him. Let him inform your decisions. Refuse to settle for a disconnected faith. And lastly, refuse to settle for a comfortable faith. You know, the entirety of this text we've been looking at today, really all of Ephesians is an invitation. It's an invitation to not settle. It's an invitation to, to life like, like you've never seen it before, like these people have never seen before. And that's why Paul's so passionate about it. He's, he's urging. He's saying, yeah, you, you, may not, you may not understand it completely yet. It may sound foreign to you. It may go against everything that your culture has ever understood. Okay, if you've ever felt like listening to me preach, you've ever felt like, dude, this dude is like off of his rocker. He's like living on another planet. He, he's, he doesn't understand anything about the world. Then I'm in good company because that's the way they would have thought about Paul, even more so. Because Paul is taking a group of people who were, whose culture was rooted deeply in who they were and he's throwing it up on, on its head. In fact, Jesus did that first. And now he's trying to show them how to do it, how to live it. Here's the simple reality. If you're following Jesus and something starts to feel like it's really hard, you're probably getting it right. Because life with Jesus is all about letting go of what's comfortable for me, what makes sense to the world choosing to embrace a completely different set of values. That's what Jesus laid out for us. So Paul is encouraging them to go after it hard with everything they got. Most of Paul's letters are challenging these communities of believers to live life outside of what is comfortable to choose to live for Jesus instead. So Paul writes a letter and reminds them in the midst of their chaos. So here it is, the closing phrases of Ephesians chapter three. He's reminded them what they have in Jesus. He's reminded them who they are in Jesus, and now he's challenging them to step into the life that Jesus has called them into. Verse 20 through 21. Now, all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever. Amen. This is Paul's challenge to the Ephesians, not to settle for what's comfortable, to choose to believe that there can be something so much more than status quo, than comfort. Friends, as I prepare to wrap up my time here as a pastor, this is what I want you to know, to believe, to embrace with everything that you've got. If you are seeking to create the image of God, the the life he has called us to, or the faith that he has given to us into a picture of something that fits your life and your comfort level, you will never be on, an, on a, in an authentic journey with him. We have to take God for who he is. We have to take Jesus for who he is and for who he's called us to be. It's what he longs for. Jesus didn't call us to perfection, but he does call us to never quit, to thro- never throw in the towel, to never settle. In another letter that Paul wrote in Corinthians chapter 9 he says it like this don't you realize that in the race everyone runs but only one person can get the prize so run to win all athlete all athletes are disciplined in their training they do it to win a prize that will that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize so run with purpose in every step i'm not just shadow boxing i discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should otherwise i fear that after preaching to others i myself might be disqualified paul is speaking out against A comfortable faith that's resting, that's sitting back, that's enjoying the goodies that come with calling yourself a Christian while being indifferent to the reality of our world, to the people in our lives. God is able to do infinitely more than we might ask or think, and he wants to. He wants to. But there's a qualifier for it, right? This language is sometimes like it feels... Like, it's hard to connect with, doesn't it? Infinitely more than you could ask or even imagine. So, like, if you, if you just play that out, like, your wildest dreams, like, you don't even know what they are in your wildest dreams. God is able to do infinitely more than even the dreams that you can possibly imagine or even think. Like, I know that that doesn't register. There's no, like, way for us to connect with these realities, but this is what God is saying. What we've seen him do is, like, tiny it's small it's it's little it's 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 not meaningless but but he wants to do so much more in your life in the life of this church and how many of us are settling right now you're settling for whatever it is what are you settling for when god wants to do so much more but listen to the qualifier he's able to do infinitely more but there's a qualifier is it harder work is it better behavior read the bible more no no, it's allowing his power to work within us. According to the power at work within us, God is able to do infinitely beyond all that we ask or think according to his purposes. We've got we've to give our hearts to him. We've got to let him shape us. We've got to connect our faith to truth. We've got to set aside the entitlement that's so natural for every one of us. I could stand up for hours telling you how entitled I am. I am far from, like, outside of the realm of this conversation. Are, are you ready to let him work? Do you want him to change you, to reorient you? Are you ready to stop settling for something less? We're going to take a couple of minutes, and the band's going to come back up. And in a minute, we're going to take, we're going to just take a couple of minutes, and I just want to, like give you some time to think about this question. Where are you at with this? How are you settling? In what ways are you settling? You know, maybe it's one of the three things that I talked about. Maybe it is entitlement. Maybe it's, you think you deserve something. And I've been here before and I understand it. I actually battle with this from time to time. It's a reality that, like, that all of us have to come face to face with a little bit because Because anyone who's been given a lot has to remind themselves how much they've been given so often. I have this phrase that I tell myself all the time. I came from shame. And and, and I've had people say, why would you do that? It just makes you feel bad. It just makes you feel guilty. And we we weren't created to live in guilt. And that's not the purpose of it for me. Because I know that I'm perfect to Jesus. I know that. I believe that. But I tell myself I came from shame because that makes me so incredibly grateful. It takes takes this statement of, like, I'm perfect in Christ, and it gives it power. If I'm not aware of that, it, it loses its power. Maybe it's entitlement. What do you think God owes you? What are you settling for? Maybe it's disconnected faith. Maybe you're recreating God in your image, defining him based on what makes you comfortable that's true, reflect on that a little bit. Maybe it's comfort. And I know for all of us, comfort will always be something that we default to. I just want to, Dave's going to start playing. Um, and I just want to give you a couple minutes just to consider, to consider these ideas, these thoughts. What are you settling for? I long to see Finding Life flourish, like blow up, like change the landscape of this city. And I would love to watch that happen and get no credit for it. The only way that can happen is if we choose collectively to not settle, to refuse, refuse to settle for what the world says we should go after, for what comes natural to us in our flesh, in our humanness. How are you settling? Take a few moments.